0: everyone. Welcome back to Everyone Talks to Liz. As promised, you guys know this, every single week I share some of the most inspiring success stories of people who scaled very rocky and treacherous mountains to reach success. Now, over the past couple of days, we've all witnessed history with our eyes glued to the screens. We waited for days for the 2020 election outcome. Kind of still in play right now, but whether you're on the left or right, blue or red or something entirely different. One thing that we are reminded of is that America, Republican, Democrat, independent is truly the land of opportunity, but it's a rocky land. It is here that you can be black or Asian, child of immigrants. You can be elected to be the next vice president or president of the United States. It's here that you can build a business, grow it and scale heights of success you might have never thought possible if there's always an if isn't there if you never say die even in the face of seemingly insurmountable odds and failures which is exactly what my guest today faced he went now this is a first we haven't had somebody like this he went from towing a red wagon in his salt lake city neighborhood with his mother's flapjack mix selling it to neighbors to building a 200 million dollar pancake powerhouse you have got to hear the story of how Kodiak Cake CEO Joel Clark
1: did it. Hi, Joel. Welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Thanks for having me. Wow, that was quite the intro. I'm, I'm excited to be on your show.
0: <laughs> Great to have you. And, and <laughs> you, you get special status here because you got the red wagon story. OMG. Okay, 1982, yes. you're eight years old. This is like child labor yeah. laws being violated here. <laughs> what happened? How did this come
1: about? Well, you know, I mean, it's kind of like a lemonade stand story in a way, right? Um, but, but there was a little more thought process that went into that because my mom, um, my mom who was into healthy eating and whole grains and everything we ate was green and brown, as my sister would say. And so, um, <laughs> and so my mom always had this, this idea to take her recipe and make a, make a product out of it, make a pancake mix. And so when I was eight years old, we, we made little homemade pancake mixes on the counter in our kitchen. My mom would grind her own wheat, by the way. So everything, you know, this whole wow. wheat, whole wheat flour. And so we made these, these pancake mixes in these brown paper lunch sacks and my mom yeah. hand wrote on the bags, how to make the, how to make the product. How to make your pancakes. And then we put these in my little wagon and I went around the neighborhood and sold these little pancake mixes to the neighbors. And, uh, what I sold them pitch? all.
0: Tell me how you pitched up people on buying.
1: <laughs> I remember knocking on the doors and and I was actually pretty outgoing. I, I wasn't very shy. So for me, that wasn't really hard to go knock on somebody's door and tell them about this pancake mix. And so I remember I, I don't remember what I said. I just remember not being fearful and kind of knocking at the door and going, Hey, we have this this pancake mix. Do you want to buy some? And uh, I you know, I, I remember selling all of them and then I remember even getting a couple of reorders, like people calling back and going, Hey, that was really good stuff. Joel, do you have any more that we could buy? You know? And so we, we made a few more and sold them, but then we we kind of just let it die out at that time, you know, and it was just kind of a fun thing to do. And we kind of let it die out. And it was, it wasn't until the mid nineties um, until we kind of resurrected the idea.
0: That was, and so that was still in, in Salt Lake city, Utah, correct. Yeah, and and yeah. your brother, John, what gets it into his head oh remember when let's do that again
1: that's exactly what happened so yeah we were still down in Salt Lake City and my older brother John he was 28 at the time and he wanted to start a business he was pretty entrepreneurial minded and he had always had a dream to start something and so he was talking to my mom one day and talking about hey what what could he do you know what business could he start and my mom said hey John what you remember the pancake uh product that we did forever ago. Why don't you take that recipe and make a real product, create a brand and go sell it, you know, start a business on that. And so John loved the idea and he was way into healthy eating. And, um, so to him, this was a great fit. So he, he took her idea and he spent quite a, quite a while working on a, like a, like a a formula that was just out of water and then started working on the brand and created the brand Kodiak Cakes and the first product. And in 1995, this month, actually, so we're 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 hitting our 25th year anniversary. It's crazy. Oh so <laughs> it is, it's crazy to think that. So in November of 1995, he asked me to help him. I was 21 and he said, hey, Joel, can you help me? I want to go out and start selling this product. It was all ready to go. And he had spent the last year or so kind of getting it ready. And so the two of us went out and started selling this product and we had just we had one product we, we had one pancake mix and we started selling it in gift shops around here so like park city that's where we're based now park city utah we Sweet started one. selling there and sun valley idaho and jackson wyoming and you know first few weeks we drummed up about 50 gift shops to that were selling our pancake mix okay you have to stop there this is like
0: a diane keaton in baby boom where she's selling country <laughs> baby applesauce <laughs> In these, in these New England towns, and they were in gift shops, right? So you're thinking, yeah. I'm doing great. How did you get the name Kodiak? Who came up with that?
1: So my two older brothers, when they were, they were kind of brainstorming one day, talking about this, John and our older brother, Tim. And really what, what it was, was this, this brand was kind of based on a lot of, it kind of personifies my older brother, John, in a lot of ways. He wanted something rustic, something outdoorsy you know something natural and wholesome and powerful and um so they were he and my other our our other brother Tim were talking about this and kind of what to call it and and Tim kind of suggested hey John what about bear cakes that that's cool that's powerful and that might embody what you're trying to do and and John really loved the idea and that kind of evolved into kodiak cakes and I like um, the alliteration
0: yeah. the c- c- yeah. kodiak cakes
1: Yeah. So he really loved that. And John will tell you, he's like, look, I always wanted to go fishing on Kodiak Island, you know? And so that's part of what we did. (laughs) And we, you know, he still has yet to make that trip. So one of these days we're going to go up there and do some fishing on Kodiak Island, Alaska, (laughs) but that's kind of how it evolved. But it really became this great. It just kind of worked. It was this brand that had all of these elements, these kind of outdoor lifestyle elements that we've retained today. And they just become a huge part of what Kodiak Cakes is all about today.
0: You just said that's how it kind of developed. Okay. That's like maybe the first three steps of a marathon because we know this 30% of new businesses fail within the first two years of being open. How close did you come to failure within the first couple of years?
1: Oh my gosh. Oh, very, very, very close. I mean, so it was hard because I think, you know, I think entrepreneurs go through this, right? You have this idea, you start to put it together, and you're kind of like, you're ready to go conquer the world, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to make this thing happen. And so, you know, that, that's what, that's, John felt that way. And, and I think we, he learned. And then when I took it over, I learned the same thing, but, but learned that, man, this was going to take a long time. And so after that, after it was, after about two years into this, John was about to shut it down. He had been doing it on the side at night for all this time, plus, plus another year just to get it started, get it off the ground, or, or at least get it, get it going create the brand and create the first product. So he was, about to, he was about to shut it down. He wanted to go back to graduate school. It was at nights. Um, it was just kind of a hard time juggling all this stuff. And he started to run out of steam and money for it. And he just was like, man, I guess I'm done. I guess I'll just call this a, an experience and shut it down. So he came to me and I was 23 at the time. I was a student at the university of Utah and, and John came to me. He's like, Hey, do you want to take this over? Cause I, I, I got to be done. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I want to do it. And, and I was, I was, you know, (laughs) I I was motivated and I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I kind of felt that way. I'm like, I can do this, you know? Yeah. Give it to me. I've got the time. I can make it happen. And so I took it over and it was, it was teeny tiny, you know, and I, I, I was doing part time jobs and going to college and I kept those, I kept my job and, and and I started doing this at night. I opened up an office in my parents' basement and uh, for some free office space. Um, and and I think what happened is I immediately realized that wow this is hard this is going to take a long time this is a teeny little business that that has I, we had no capital to put into it I didn't know anything about the industry and I just had to bootstrap it for many years while I finished school and did you know other jobs on the uh, you know while I did this at night so that it was, was hard who, who were you selling to. So when we when I took it when I first took it over from John we had um, a bunch of gift shops still and he had gotten it into QFC grocery stores up in the Seattle area, so he I mean he kind of knew it's, it's got to be we got to get into the grocery to be able to get volume so he had gotten that one chain and so it's when I took it business yeah. trying to get grocery store shelving space yeah really hard really really incredibly hard. And I, and I remember when I took over from John, I, I I had that mindset. I'm like, okay, I've got to figure out how to get more grocery stores. And, you know, started going into some of the local stores and, and little by little, I got a couple of the local chains to pick it up and take it on. And so that was a really hard, hard process. And, you know, you asked about like, did, you know, how hard was it? Did we almost shut down in the first few years? And yeah, so even after I took it over, um, man. I bootstrapped this thing for the next seven years at night until I could go full time. And, and that was just really, really hard to be able to stick it out. And I, and I think I remember I knew, like, I I realized that, man, if I could just give this thing enough time, I think I can make it work. But, but I remember I, I you know, I, have heard this, other people say this, but often it's not the business. It's that fails. It's the entrepreneur that, that quits. And, and that is really often what happens because the entrepreneur just, doesn't have the wherewithal or the financial means or the time to give it enough time to give that business enough time to give it a real fair shake. And so, you know, that, that was hard.
0: What did you do to keep afloat? What did you resort to? You said you didn't have capital. Uh, you had your parents' basement. Thank you, mom and dad, very much. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> what else did you do to make sure that you kept the arteries
1: flowing, albeit at a reduced rate? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, I think I wanted to be an entrepreneur so badly, and that part was deliberate. So what I did is I kind of adjusted my life to revolve around this, and I think that's something I, I, you know, I I encourage people that want to be entrepreneurs to do because, so what what that meant, what we did, my wife and I, we lived cheaply. We we didn't take on a lot of fixed costs like a big car payment or a big mortgage, and and so we were we were very deliberate about okay, let's set up our lives, let's just live cheaply so that we can give this business a real fair shot. And that's what I did. So I didn't, you know, I never, I never worked after I graduated from college. I only worked like 30 hours at my job. I didn't go quite full time because I needed more time to put into this, you know, pancake dream. And so I really just went, that's what we did. We just made, we just made our lives work for as long as we could, I bought and sold cars on the side to make extra money. And so, I mean, it was really hard. I mean, but, but, you know, I almost gave up. I I tried to sell the business during that time that didn't work out. Um, I, I wondered if it was going to keep going and it was, it was really hard to, to keep it going.
0: So there's always that moment where lightning somehow strikes or you jam the electric cord into something to make the energy flow. Yeah. What was that moment?
1: <laughs> we, we've had a few of those. And I, I would say in 2004, that's when I first quit my job. So after those seven years, I, I jumped in full time. And the the thing that happened at that point was, um, I had been working with this buyer at Safeway, and her name was Donna Sullivan, really, really awesome lady. and And I had been at night, I'd kind of send samples out to different people. And I I had gotten had a couple phone calls with her, and so she called me up one day. She's like, "Hey Joel, we're going to bring Kodiak cakes into twelve hundred stores." Whoa. I'm like, "Wow, no way, really?" And I still hadn't even met with her. And usually, you go in and you meet with buyers to talk to them right in person. And so, and I, I asked her, I said, "Well, we've never even met. You want me to? You don't want me to come down and meet with you?" And she's like, uh, "No, we're we're beyond that. We're good. Let's we're going to put it in these stores. <laughs> we're good." And I, <laughs> and I was like. Wow, you got to be kidding me! So that that was a real that was that was a real catalyst, and so I thought I think I can live on this. So I quit my job in 2004 and I I dived into Kodiak Cakes full time. Still had just the one skew. We were just this little one skew business, and my dad, who was 65 at the time, he said, "Hey Joel, I'll help you. Let's do this together. Let's see what we can make of this thing." And so he he jumped in with me, and the two of us started working on building Kodiak Cakes, and you know we had some we worked together for the next four years.
0: Where were you manufacturing at that
1: point? We outsource our manufacturing, and, which is what we've always done. We've always had other partners that have done that for us. And so that was actually a, a blessing at the time, and, and ha- it even is today. But I mean, it allowed us to really focus on the selling and the marketing, and, and we weren't having to worry about the manufacturing. And it's pretty common in food to have other, you know, other outsourced partners to actually make your products for you. So that worked out great for us.
0: And you made sure that they held to that standard that your mom, who made the green and brown health food all the time, would (laughs) approve of, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, you have, yeah, you got to watch it, right? You got to watch, make sure the quality is good, make sure it's exactly what you want and and make sure you have good confidentiality around formulations and trade secrets and, and stuff like that. But it can work out well. This is
0: Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We've had guests on, most of them in food in in this case, who say, oh, the greatest moment was when I got on Shark Tank and we got the investment. (laughs) You, my man, OMG, I want our listeners to know this, work your tail off to get on Shark Tank. And then you reject the offer that one of the sharks made you Yes, and we yet, <laughs> what did that do for you? Even though you said, "Forget it, I'm not, I'm not giving you that portion of the company."
1: Yeah, so that was the next real inflection point, right? So 2014 was, I think, back to your question, like, what were what were some of those real moments that made you think you had it, you were going to make it, right? And 2014 was one of, was a real inflection point year for us, so. So we launched protein, our protein line called Power Cakes, and that that really resonated with consumers quickly. And then we went on Shark Tank, and so um, that was just an incredible experience. I went on with Cameron. So Cameron took my dad's place in 2009, became a co-founder with me, and says, "Hey, I'm going to see if I can get us on Shark Tank." I'm like, "Great! I've never seen the show. Go to town, man!" <laughs> so he he emails Shark Tank, and we kind of I forgot about
0: you guys it. out in Utah. You're you're living and <laughs> breathing the. the- <laughs>
1: The great outdoors was Shark Tank, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like I hadn't seen it, but I, I knew what it was. And so Cameron was pretty he, he knew this could be a great opportunity for us. So he gets us on and we go on the show and we got um we did get a couple of offers. And I just we felt like they were they were they were low ball. They were just too low, you know. And so yeah, it would have been nice because we needed some capital. And we probably would have even got more exposure publicity out of that if we would have done a deal, but it was just, it was too low. And we thought, you know, we have put so many years into this already. We can't just give it away. And, and it really was, I felt like a low ball offer. And so we just said, Hey, thanks, but no thanks. And we walked off the show. It was, that was pretty hard to do, but that turned out to be a great thing for us because, you know, the sh- and, and the show did provide a lot of momentum for us and, and exposure and it really helped. And so so that combined with launching a really awesome innovation in 2014, that really did become an inflection point year for us.
0: Okay, I'm going to invoke my personal experience. A couple yeah. of years ago, I'm walking through Target, and I see Kodiak Cakes. I had not heard of you, but I was looking for something healthier because I had little kids at the time. They love pancakes. But I was just terrified about, you know, all the gluten and all of the carbohydrates, and I always wanted to kind of slip in whole grains. Yeah. Packaging in that brown bag with the picture of the bear and the name—I mean, this is how shallow I am. I'm like, sold! I'm buying it, (laughs) and it was phenomenal, and I loved it. I thought. Wait a minute, it's on Target shelf. I mean, don't they do the craft macaroni and cheese in the Velveeta that doesn't even need to be refrigerated? I mean, nothing against yeah. Velveeta, but hello. Right. For those of us who are really concerned about preservatives and things like that. Yeah. But I checked it out and I said, I like these guys. That's so awesome. how'd you get that them to awesome. the Target?
1: That was that was huge for us. I mean, just really it was. And Target lately has done a great job of kind of partnering with emerging brands that 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 have a really great position like of, of health and wellness and better for you. And uh, so th- how we got in there was we were at a trade show and we met one of the buyers once and she stopped by the booth. And so Cameron, who I, I talked about before, who's um, president now and is a co-founder to me, he, he reached out and followed up there and he got a meeting. And this one, was, this one was when Cameron was brand new here at the company. He took my dad's spot in 2009, right out of college. And so Cameron got an appointment with this buyer and he was, he was young. It was his, and he said, Hey, let's go. I've got this appointment at target. And I and I couldn't go. And I'm like, Oh no, I can't go. Like literally I would usually drop everything to go on that, obviously, but I couldn't be there. So Cameron said, Hey, I'm going to just go out and do it. And I said, you can do it. You'll be fine. And so he went out and he had this meeting and he cooked pancakes for the buyer. And she said, Hey, I really like it. I want to try it out. So she brought it into 40 stores at the time to test it. And then, you know, six months later, they came back and said, hey, we love this. This is doing great. We're going to roll this out nationwide. So that, I mean, that was just incredible for us. You're
0: next two, Aunt Jemima's been around for decades and decades. Yeah. Bisquick owned it. Yeah. How are you doing today against those names?
1: So we're doing well. We're the number two pancake mix in the country now. And in many places, we're the number one. But overall, we're, we're number two. And we're really growing. We're the the fastest growing pancake mix brand in the country. And um, it is in health and wellness, you know, better for you brand. And we're seeing really great, great momentum um, for Kodiak Cakes. And I think for us, it's like if we can become the number one pancake brand and do that with a whole grain, a healthier, better for you product to us, I mean, that would just be incredible. That would be like a new paradigm shift in terms Mm -hmm. of, you know, like how we think about nutrition and health. And so I you know, that's what we're, that's our goal.
0: Well, the the so-called pancake category wasn't a thing back when you began. It is definitely a thing now. I mean, I go into Whole Foods and I see uh, all of the gluten-free and the keto pancake mixes. So tell me about expanding your offerings. You have now blossomed into all kinds of syrups and brownie mix. Talk to me about uh, you know, trying to compete or at least maintaining your toehold in what has become a somewhat crowded area.
1: Yeah. So, um, OK, this is interesting because our plan from early on was, OK, well, let's get established in pancake category, but then let's go other places. We wanted to take whole grains and protein and, you know, the the things that we're all about and put that into other categories in the center store center of the grocery store. And the pancake category, like you said, was, it was almost like not a thing. It was a very tired category for a lot of years with, without a whole lot of innovation. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of the same stuff year in and year out. And so when we brought, we brought new innovation to that category and it really grew the category and people, people came back to the category with that hadn't been buying pancake mix for a long time. And so that became just this huge success story for us. And at Target, for example, we, we grew the category. It wasn't just hey, we put this protein pancake mix in and it took away everybody else's sales. It didn't do that. So it was just this incredible story of growth for not only us, but for the whole category. And so then it was, hey, how do we do that in other categories? And I I think people underestimate the power of positioning sometimes. And I think, you know, you kind of ask, how do we compete against these big companies? And I think there's two things. I mean, it's like having a really strong unique brand position. That's different. That's, and it, it sticks to what it's all about. Um, because if you don't, if you don't just stick to what your, your brand is about, then you start to dilute it and people don't, they don't know what you're about. Right. So we stuck to that through the years. We stuck to whole grains. We've never gone away from that. And then I think it's just building a really authentic brand that has a great mission. And that really wants to make a difference in people's lives. And so for us, that's inspiring people to eat healthier and to live more active. And then consumers love that, right? They trust you. And I think that's how that's how you can really build a sustainable brand.
0: You know, you're battle tested. Obviously, you were punched down multiple times, near bankruptcy, quitting, you yeah. never gave up. What if a Hain Celestial or some big conglomerate that deals in health foods came to you and said, "I want to buy you for a lot of money." Hmm. Has that yeah. happened yet? I mean, have you gotten offers have you rejected offers? have you thought about that moment you you're you, yeah. you die i mean you you have a lot to to kind of create here
1: yeah yeah that that's a hard one because yeah, I mean there are times where we think, oh yeah, if we had the right partner that really believed in who we are and it could help us get bigger and and do even more with our mission and impact people's lives in an even bigger way then sometimes that's Sometimes that is like, okay, that could be pretty interesting. But I think if we, you know, if it was a a partner that didn't really, I don't know, they didn't really care a whole lot. It was just a financial thing. And that would be really hard. That'd be hard to do because I think, you know, what we have, we've, I've spent my, my career building this business. And for me, it's, it's never just been about, oh, you know, how much money can I make? No, for me, it was about, I want to create something that makes a big impact on people's lives and that. And that, yeah, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to do something and create something and that's fun. Mm-hmm. But now you look at what we've created and now it's all about the people, the culture, like people that 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 come to work every day and are in this to build an incredible brand and business that makes a difference. And I look at like, there's a lot of runway for us. Like we want to go into lots of categories and, and bring whole grains and better for you nutrition standards into a lot of places in the grocery. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot to do. I'm incredibly passionate about it. But yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen.
0: <laughs> what What is next? Is it is it a Kodiak Crunch if you're doing granolas it cereals? Uh, come on, let, let me help you come up with some stuff. <laughs>
1: hey, those are not off base. I mean, really, those are not off base. Those are really interesting. I think there's a lot we can do. We do kind of look often for sleepier categories or tired categories that need some innovation. Right. And, and um, so I think it's like, there are a lot of places in the grocery store where we can go, where we can take health and wellness, whole grains, protein, nutrition, and, and do a better job in there. And so when, when I think about that, I get incredibly excited about a new paradigm of, you know, kind of a new basic standard of nutrition in a lot of the categories that that we want to be in. So Yeah, that we're thinking about that. And I think that's what's next for us is more and more places to go and take this brand and build like a real platform brand that is in a lot of places.
0: We may be having some listeners right now who are saying to themselves, I am hanging by a gossamer thread. I've been through the pandemic. I'm on the verge of losing my business. I have been told no so many times. I'm afraid to start a business what is that special something that you, Joel, have in your mind that keeps you going in the darkest of times? Anybody can talk about the good successes. Yeah, that's not what we do here. At everyone talks to Liz, we we kind of seize upon the darker times because it's not how a man or woman falls; it's how they get.
1: Yeah. Uh, my gosh, I totally agree with that. I think there's a few things that kept me going in those times because, like, it, it was it was it took us. I'll just, <laughs> a little more context here, it took us 16 years to hit $1 million in revenue, 16 years. Mm. And it was, that was demoralizing. It was, it was really hard to kind of stick it out and to keep going. Um, I think a couple of things that I did, I I, I kept believing though. I kept believing there was, I, I continued to have passion for this business because people would send letters in and they'd say, look, I love this pancake mix. It's the best I've ever had. Thanks for making this product. That was something that helped me. And then I think I just figured, I, I really believe if I can just figure out how to stay in here long enough to give it a fair shake, I think it'll work. And so that, But that was the test for me. It was how to do it, how to structure my life so I could live on a little bit less, how to surround myself with the right people, with mentors. You, you have to do that. You got to have mentors and advisors to help you. And then I, what I would do is I would set myself these six-month challenges and these goals because what I was afraid of, Liz, was I, I didn't want I didn't want to find myself, you know, in my 60s going, "Hey, honey, it's just around the corner. Give me another six months. It's going to happen." And I've got nothing to show for my career. So I was also conscious of that. Like at some point, maybe I will have to call Uncle and bail out of this thing. But I, I, so I'd set myself these kind of six-month goals, and I'd say, "All right, if if these things happen in the next six months, I'll stay." If they don't, I've got to go, you know, I've got to chalk it up as an experience and call it a sunk cost, and move on. So those are tough. Those are really, really tough decisions. But I think if you can get mentors and get the right people around you who can motivate you and help you to see your way through the forest and not just the trees, you know, then I think that can be very helpful and and be a reality reality check for you and and help you get through that. But I think that's the key is just you got to figure out how to persevere.
0: I have an extraordinarily important question to ask you. What is the difference between flapjacks and pancakes? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've always wondered. Love it.
0: Cultural thing.
1: Yeah. So it's it's really yeah kind of, it's. Flapjack is just a, it's like an old school term mm-hmm. for, a, for a pancake, right? And and I remember John, my, my older brother John did some research and he was learning about how he had pe- people in the old frontier often called them flapjacks. And so our first product was Kodiak Cakes Frontier Flapjack and Waffle Mix, you know, just kind of that theme of the brand, the old frontier when life and food were a lot simpler and whole and real. So that's kind of why we called it a flapjack. But yeah, it's it's a pancake. uh,
0: What I really love about this story is that it did take you this long. In this day and age, you hear about the entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley who strike it rich within three or four years, and suddenly they're billionaires at the age of 27 or 20-nothing. Yeah, You know, I I worry about our youth today. God, now I sound so old, but I worry about kids today (laughs) who look at that and say, oh, well, you know, she did it and oh, she just automatically got this venture capitalist money and you got to be in high tech if you're ever going to make it. You're living proof that you can follow your passion. We don't have to have a nation of coders. God bless coders. But, you know, we don't have to make sure that our kids only do things that are, you know, left brain versus right brain. Yeah. That can be a mix of both.
1: I hundred percent agree with that, and I think something my brother would always say is like, "There's Joel. There's always room at the top for the best," and I believe that in every or any industry, right? It's just what it is. Is it, it is just a, it's perseverance, it's clawing through, it's it's that that desire. That, and that passion will get you through. I think I, I sometimes, you know, passion can be cliche, but I say it like this, passion has a purpose and it's the one thing that will get you to go against logic. Logic says, just do this or don't, you know, don't put your house on the line for your business loan. Don't do that. That's ridiculous. But if you're that passionate about something, that's what you have to do. You have to go against logical decisions sometimes and make the sacrifices and do kind of stupid things sometimes to, to make it and to make it make your business work and to make it successful. So I think there, there really is room at the top for the best. And if, you're, if you wanna make the sacrifice and put forth the effort and you wanna get there, then you can. Joel Clark of Kodiak Cakes.
0: Oh, I got to try the power cakes. I've, <laughs> I've had the regular stuff. I need that. And I and I personally need to do research on the brownies. So I'm going to have to go and get some of that just so that I can give yes. you some feedback, you know, retail, yeah. retail research. Uh, it's yeah, great definitely. to have you. Yes. What a wonderful, wonderful <laughs> story. Thank you for sharing it
1: with everyone. Thanks for having me. You
0: fit into our Well, we break the mold, but whatever mold we have, you're definitely right there. Folks, I hope that you really seize upon how difficult it was for him, not just for one or two or three years, 16 years before he finally even just breached that ceiling of of one million in sales. So seize upon that and go for it. Never say die, no matter how tough it is. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Business Network for The Claiming Countdown.